Hello, and welcome to Read Scholars Live. I am your host, Dr. Mary Fleming, and current president of Read Scholars. I am joined today by Dr. Renessa Anthony. Dr. Anthony is originally from Detroit, Michigan, though she now resides in California, uh, where she's working on a new project, Momentum Park. She received her medical degree at the University of Chicago, her Master of Public Health from Harvard, and completed her internship in OBGYN at Vanderbilt before moving on to a fellowship in health policy at the NIH and with the Office of the Surgeon General. Across her many roles, she has maintained a commitment to maternal child health and achieving health equity. That was very abbreviated, but welcome, Dr. Anthony. I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Fleming. Proud to be able to come back and give back to the Reed Scholars. Thank you. Was there anything I missed in your introduction? Anything more you want to tell us about what you're doing now? Uh, I don't want to talk about myself, but I will talk about um, Momentum Park, where moms come first and every moment matters. But I like to back up because you went through that bio and I've done clinical work, public health work, policy work. I know. When it came to mamas and babies with the Affordable Care Act and realized that there was a key stakeholder that had been missing. And you and I have been to every like NMA, AMA, APHA, all the conferences. And um, when I moved out here to California, realized that a key stakeholder that was not at the table for solving problems, especially in maternal and child health, was technology. And so Momentum Park is a tech company where we're looking at the integration of medicine, public health, and policy, which I've always done with technology. So what's the capacity? What's the role? How can technology solve maternal and child health issues? And yes, it's definitely a, a needed aspect. And I think it's on the forefront now as we've been turning to technology more and more as we've responded to COVID-19. Um, tell me a little bit more on how you transition into the technology space, because that's not traditional uh, trajectory for those of us in, in the broad healthcare field, but something, of course, that's evolving and, and more and more needed? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, similar to how I got into policy, I kind of fell into it. I've always had this inner desire um, for solutions. And when I went to medical school, um, especially when I got to Vanderbilt and we had the Vandy Meharry Alliance, I could see very clearly um, health inequities, access to care, and I knew that just having a clinical career wasn't going to be enough for the reasons I chose to be a physician in the first place. So that led me to following on my background of public health, how can I integrate medicine and public health, and I was doing a lot of programs and community outreach. And then I learned uh, through there that the biggest challenges and also the biggest opportunities came from policy. And so when you have laws that are enacted at the federal, state, local, and even at the hospital level, that's when you see um, huge momentum and movement in advocacy and support of whatever population that you're interested in. And for me, of course, that's women, girls, um, and children. And so that I've done that work, medicine, public health, and policy on an academic platform for the past 10 years. So I was on faculty at George Washington University. Uh, for like three years and then I left and I became the deputy director and director of the Center for Reducing Health Disparities at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Always a mouthful to say. And I did that role for eight years and I really got to see um, 
community engagement. I got to see research, clinical work, public health at its best. And in eight years, when I was honest with myself, despite all the awards I got, it was very clear, like, I really haven't made that big of a difference because mm -hmm. every time I go back to Detroit, where I'm from, um, my community is pretty much exactly the same. So I have a sister that lost her baby um, during pregnancy. I had tons of friends and family members that went into preterm labor, kept hearing over and over how um, women who looked like me were going to the ER saying like something's wrong, something's not right and being ignored. And from there, I knew that I wanted to pursue something different. I didn't know exactly what it was. And so I left academia and started my own consulting company. And in that consulting, I was exposed to different key stakeholders. So I was working for corporate America and out of the blue, I got a phone call from someone, um, actually three different people, Audra Robertson, Dr. Audra Robertson, who's there with you. Um, the DC Department of Health director called me and then my cousin from Flint called me and said someone was <laughs> and when I spoke to these people they were basically telling me that there was an angel investor looking for someone who was passionate about mamas and babies and they wanted to basically make this investment. I met with that person um, and I pretty much told him that if you want to address infant mortality, you can't do that without addressing maternal health. And so babies come from moms, moms are really important, and they have been left off of the political and public health agenda um, over the past years, unless you look at international um, efforts. And I got a call, he made a very generous um, investment. And at the time, I'll never forget, he said, if you could solve this problem, in the next 30 years, what would you do? And I had this whole academic strategic plan and he tore it up. <laughs> he said, you don't know what you would do, but what I do know is that you are a disruptor, you should be a proud disruptor, and you will find the answer over time. And so this isn't a sprint, you've got the next 20 to 30 years to do this. If money weren't an issue, if resources weren't an issue, what would you do? Who would you work with? And it gave me a different framework to start thinking about solving some of the challenges in maternal and child health. Well, this person, I kept flying back and forth. I was living in the South at the time. Uh, so I would fly from there to Silicon Valley to meet with him and kind of update him on what we were doing, which was mostly public health policy programs, um, dissemination types of programs. And I was in these meetings and I would listen to his phone calls and I would hear the numbers they were talking about. And I would hear the language like fully stacked platform. And I'm like, why are they talking about pancakes? Or there would be a presentation and they wouldn't say, here's PowerPoint. They would say something like, oh yeah, I bought my deck. And so just being in the room, I started to be able to translate from my medical public health and policy standpoint words and actions that they were using in the technology standpoint and technology ecosystem. And what I saw very quickly was number one, they get things done very quickly. They work on what's called um, a multi-systems approach. So in medicine, public health and policy, we tend to do A plus B equals C. And then after you do that, you can do C plus D equals E. And in technology, there are all these moving parts at one given time. 
And the biggest thing I learned was this acceptance and embracement of failure. And you know, in the work that we do and that I used to do, failure was not an option. Failure in technology is embraced as long as you learn something from it. And so I will watch them really quickly do these whiteboarding sessions, everybody's standing around, throwing ideas on the whiteboard, every idea is accepted, no one's trying to um, play in the hierarchy because there is no hierarchy. It's really for the greater good, like what is it that we're trying to do? And then you look at the whiteboard and they're like, okay, what's our minimal viable product? Like, what can we do now? And we're gonna do this in the next three weeks. And then in three weeks, we'll start again and figure out what we do from there. And I was so used to planning on like a three, five and seven year scale, not realizing that in three years, everything has shifted so much. But yet in three years, I was still trying to carry out what I wanted to do in five years. So watching these systems-based approaches where it was okay if we failed, when we failed, what did we learn, what can we take from and how do we keep moving, um, completely shifted how I thought. And then I knew after being in this ecosystem with a person who supported me who happened to be in technology that, wait a minute, I've never learned any of this and I have a million dollar education. I spend and invest probably twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a year just in travel to our conferences, which I love. But the reality is I go to these conferences and I may learn 10% new stuff. For the most part, it's reinforcement of what I already know. And then I get to hang out with cool people like you. I wanted to know every single tech conference. I wanted to know the language. I wanted to understand the ecosystem. And just like I went to medical school, just like I went to Harvard School of Public Health, just like I went to NIH to learn policy, I pretty much packed up all my stuff and moved to Silicon Valley for what I called my residence uh, what was it called? My Silicon Valley study abroad. And I was out here for three months and I was convinced, wait a minute, a key stakeholder has been missing from the table and that's technology. Um, and from that, I started Momentum Park where moms come first and every moment matters. And it was, we are going to pioneer technology into maternal and child health. And so that launched January 1st, 2020. And as you know, two months later, we are in the midst of a pandemic. Yes, so much has happened in 2020 and <laughs> so much to unpack from um, your comments there. So, I mean, just for our listeners, I want to remind them just, you know, you talked about a lot about your family and, and health disparities on, in um, Michigan, and, and we know Michigan's getting hard hit with COVID right now too. Um, and so, you know, for a lot of people, you, uh, when black and brown moms go to the emergency room or to labor and delivery, they are suffering from higher rates of adverse health outcomes compared to um, our white counterparts. And, and that's irrespective of education. And so when you're talking about, you know, your sister and your family members, and even colleagues, I mean, we have OB physician colleagues who post about um, getting substandard care, I mean, in, in all honesty, um, for very common conditions when they present to, um, to their healthcare systems. And it's very frustrating. And like you said, we've been talking about this for years. Like, we're not new to this conversation. Like, this is a new and ongoing conversation. Um, and we and we haven't seen haven't been able to move the needle with what we're what we've been doing and so I'm very grateful uh, for you for being a disruptor and trying to figure out a new and better way to do things. 
Um, the other thing I wanted to, to have you address on the technology spectrum, some of the conversation is, it, it, will technology help us or hinder us, right? And so one of the things that we talk about because of these disparities of resources, we also have disparities in access of technology. So if we put more emphasis on technology, how do we um, keep from introducing another element of disparity in that pipe work? So that's a great question and something that you have to have at the forefront of your mission. And so with my team, that's something we're always looking at. What are some unforeseen consequences or impacts that can perpetuate versus eliminate racial and ethnic disparities. Because we have a diverse team, because I'm the founder, <laughs> uh, and I'm black, and I'm female, and to be honest, I've had this conversation with some of our funders, like, I don't have children, and I'm afraid to be pregnant. Like, I'm afraid that if I were to have a baby, that's a huge risk. I could lose my life. There's a lot um, that's in the system that I can't even control. And with an what is it, advanced maternal age, is that a die I'm willing to roll? And personally, the answer has become no, not until there's something on the market, something in the ecosystem that can increase my odds of having a healthy uh, pregnancy and outcome, and also that my baby blows out his or her first birthday candle. And so one of the major things we were working on, which I really wish it would have been complete our prototype because it would have been perfect timing during COVID. That's okay, it gives us new um, market support, is we're working on a prototype where it is a basically you do OB. And most of the things that when women come to OB triage, those are things that they could technically use at home. So blood pressure cuffs, thermometers, we use nitrazine paper, Dopplers, all those things, we've taken five items, key items that could diagnose the number one and leading causes of adverse pregnancy and birth outcomes, preeclampsia, um, early rupture of membranes, PPROM, uh, other things like gestational diabetes. And what we're doing is we're taking five items and we're actually miniaturizing them into two to three devices. And while these five items already exist on the market, none of them have been integrated for use none of them have been digitized so we're digitizing them to a fully stacked platform and what that means is that this fully stacked platform is a smart platform so the more you use it the more it gets smart kind of like your your google the more you talk and the more you ask google certain questions it gets really smart and starts to, to predict and recommend certain things to you where you're like are they reading my mind no there's an algorithm that is used to be able to predict and personalize your experience. So UX, which is user experience, they are UX designers that we're working with to create this fully stacked platform where women will be able to use these digitized products and the platform can think for them. So for instance, if a woman is at home and she's feeling, you know, we, we would use the words, um, she has edema, but she would be like, I'm kind of swollen or I'm feeling puffy and we get concerned that maybe she has preeclampsia, but we know diagnostically she has to meet a certain criteria for blood pressure. She has to meet a certain criteria of a level of protein in her urine. With our product, those are things that she can do herself. She doesn't have to be able to read whether or not her blood pressure is normal. 
the algorithm will read it for her, integrate, and pretty much do these diagnoses. And what it will do is it's a green, yellow, and red light indicator. So if it's a green light after asking some other questions and we ask them using health literacy, very straightforward uh, questions that are not, um, they don't, they basically translate our medical words into everyday people's words where we're looking at cultural competency, making sure that it's um, language proficient, but culturally and language proficient as well. But we'll ask additional questions. So for instance, when she uses the um, dipstick, if it has the protein, if it has her blood pressure is high, it will ask questions about her vision. It will ask her questions um, about, you know, if she presses on her lower legs, what that feels like. And then it will indicate based on um, the algorithm, a green light, meaning that it's highly unlikely, it's low risk for X, Y, and Z, and it'll make recommendations. So for instance, um, you know, hydrate X, Y, and Z, and then check again in 30 minutes. A yellow light means that there's something concerning and it's concerning for you, but it's not urgent or emergent, meaning in the next 24 to 48 hours, you need to touch base with your provider and get further assessment. Red means that do not stop and collect $200. Like this is an emergency. You need to seek emergent care right away. And our 0.20 version, what we're creating now is that this will be um, a way for women to increase their own self-efficacy, empowerment, and advocacy. Right now, telemedicine um, is probably the most advanced that we have in terms of maternal and child health technology, and that's pretty much all we have but it's centered and requires the responsibility of the physician. It is not in the hands of the actual woman. And what we wanna do at Momentum Park, where moms come first, not physicians, but where moms come first and every moment matters, is we want to empower women and their own voices. And so they get to choose um, their partnership with their physician and their providers, and then that platform becomes available to them and will alert them as well, but they get to make that choice. What I'm excited about with technology like this is that when women are not heard and when they go to the emergency room and they don't use the words that are in our textbooks, basically saying I have scotoma and they're just like, I don't know, something wrong with my eyes and you might miss it because you are not from that cultural background to understand what she's saying or even women who don't speak English is their first language. When you present to a busy triage and you've got tons of people laboring, your ER is busy, you've got people coming down for consults, it's easy and you have to depend on that individual physician that you see. And we want women to be able to say, hey, and show them the technology. This thing is red, something's wrong, and you don't have to listen to me, but you can listen to this. And just like the, unfortunately, the EMR, I've seen so many patients who are like, I go and they don't even listen to me. They just read this thing and they trust the electronic medical record more than they trust the actual patient. And we wanna leverage that where it's, you will trust our technology in conjunction with the patient. And at least if it's red or yellow, you have to give her work up so she won't be sent home. We're also thinking that it might help in um, with ancillary services and other healthcare providers that may not be the attending. And you're not that attending, Dr. Fleming, but you know there are some attendings that they don't want you to page them, they don't want you to call them, just do the mag checks, why you keep calling me? And depending on that relationship, 
a lot of times, and we've learned when we did the research um, in litigation, when the nurses and the MAs testified, they said, well, we knew something was wrong, but when we called and we were reprimanded, we were too scared to call again. And this will give even um, those healthcare providers a voice to, it's not you saying it, say, well, this thing is red and I looked at the data, you might, you might wanna come look at it. And even from a litigation standpoint, I think that we may be able to increase um, the services and at least, you know, the experience may not be the same. Unfortunately, there will always be some providers that look at women of color and give them a certain experience, but what they cannot do is ignore her and not do the workup. Oh, very fascinating. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> I was talking, actually talking to a, a friend of ours that we have in common, Pia, the other day. And when all this started unfolding, um, and we were, at the time I was working in an outpatient office and we started doing more telemedicine and, and, and I've been saying for a while, it's like prenatal care has to change, right? It's, it's, we've been doing it the same way. And, you know, part of the, when we look at health disparities and adverse outcomes, we know that prenatal care is instrumental in improving outcomes, right? And so it's, but at the same time, it's not necessarily efficient or um, user-friendly, or it doesn't always provide the best access to women who are really marginalized. And so this is exciting on trying to figure out how not just to improve care, right? So making sure they have better outcomes is because they're being diagnosed um, in real time and properly, but also the empowerment piece, right? And so I think that's another huge thing for our population is making sure not just that they know, but they feel empowered enough to say um, when something's going on. So super excited. Um, so definitely have to have you back on and you can tell us progress. Um, not, all about our better birthing box. <laughs> yes. Um, and so not to keep you on too long, I usually like to close these with a couple things. Um, one is tell me what you think the biggest challenge has been during the pandemic and that can be either for you professionally or personally. And two, what is your hope? What do you hope that we learn um, on the other side of this? Let me take a deep breath because I want to make this succinct and have many thoughts. So first, the biggest challenge is it's like those old Carnival cruise ship commercials and they zoom out from the cruise ship and you can see into all the different rooms and all the things that are going on. What's challenging is that there are so many ecosystems and things going on, whether you're talking about agriculture or medicine or mental health or finances, like it's such a moving target and all those stories can't be told in real time. So we'll learn those in, you know, retrospectively. What I'm hopeful about is I'm inspired by the level of creativity. So in the midst of something we've never seen that has upset the world in a way that we've never seen and I hope to never see in my own lifetime, that what human beings have been able to creatively generate, whether it's telemedicine for maternal care, or when I went to the pharmacy and they have, they figured out how to put all these shower curtains up and how to make sure that people were safe and with the tape, like even when I just flew back from, I flew to New Orleans and flew back and the mitigating protocols and factors that people were able to come up with to keep people safe, 
were really inspiring. So I think, and I know, and I believe um, that what we'll see after this is innovation. And this gives an opportunity for people like you and me and innovators and disruptors to really step up to the plate during these times of challenges and really optimize the opportunity. And at Momentum Park, where moms come first and every moment matters, that's what we're gonna do. And we'll make sure next time anything like this happens, mamas and babies um, have what they need to take care of and advocate for themselves at home. Well, thank you again for your time. You inspire me every time I talk to you, right? I love listening to your stories and listening to you talk. And I, I, I like the way you conceptualize a, a very big topic um, and issue into very understandable and relatable words. I appreciate that. Um, and I will be talking to you soon. All right, Dr. Fleming, and call out and shout out and much love to all the Reed Scholars.